This morning we're going to start, start John chapter 12. And what we saw last time is, was we finished up in chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus, four days in the tomb, and Jesus raised him from the dead. And today we're going to see Lazarus again in this chapter uh, for a short period. But the focus more is going to be on his sister Mary, her devotion to the Lord. And here's a woman who gave of herself. She humbled herself. Uh, she was moved by the Spirit to just do something, the, the only thing that she could do for the Lord Jesus, showed her appreciation to God, and she gets a little bit of grief from within the faith, and we'll see that. So starting with verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he, meaning Jesus, had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So here's the setting, is the background. Um, I love to go through the scripture, uh, go through the synoptic gospels, look at John, put everything together for a picture. So we're going to find that sometimes Matthew adds a little bit more. You know, it's the same conversation. He felt that that was, you know, remember these disciples had to, can only fit so much into the Bible because work, walking with Jesus for three years, I mean, it, it it's inconceivable how many people he healed and fed and things like that. So they had to be selective about what they put in. So each person, gospel writer, hit it from a different angle. Same discussion, same scene. It's just like I said, as a police officer going to a, a scene of a crime, you know, the hairdresser is the witness and they, she's going to you know, look at the guy's facial hair and the way his hair is done and that's the way she's going to give me the description. You know, the other guy is... Uh, uh, he, he's in suits, so he's going to look at the guy's you know, bodily build and such. It's the same witness, it's the same incident, but they're coming from different angles. So this is what we have here. We're going to interject Matthew 26 and also Mark 14 into this. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it said that the event took place in Simon's house. So you see Jesus spending time with his disciples, with his friends, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he's a few days out from the crucifixion. Right? So we put this in a historical, chronological framework. Right? All, all fits in with the background. Makes the story uh, better, to, better to be understood. And he wanted to enjoy a little fellowship and a little camaraderie before he had to go into this very stressful situation. Remember, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he knew what was coming. And I submit to you, the pain of the cross was brutal. As a matter of fact, we get the word excruciating, the root of that English word comes from, from the cross, because that's how much pain they endured when they were hung on that cross. Okay, but I submit to you that as God, what was far worse was, here's a pure and holy God. For the first time in history, your sins, my sins, people in the future, their sins, people in the past, were all put on Christ on the cross and buried uh, so that the sins could be destroyed and that we could have life. We talked about that a little bit more a uh, little bit last week. So what we have is, is Jesus here, hanging out with people. When you look at Jesus, you see God. Jesus even said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Amen. Right? He loved people. He loves you. He loves me. And it's ironic because these friends probably ministered to him in an emotional way, in an encouraging way. But the ironic thing is, he's going to the cross to die for his friends. And we're going to cover that scripture. A friend is a friend who lays down his life for his friends, and that's what Jesus did. So, what do we find when we look at this? We find that Martha is serving, 
and Mary is worshiping. And as well, we should also look at that, those differences in believers. We should embody both, serving and worshiping. Doing too much, but not sitting at the Lord's feet, got Martha a rebuke in Luke chapter 10. Martha, Martha, you're troubled about so many things. But Mary's sitting at my feet. You know, this, she has chose the better portion, and it will not be taken away from her. On the other hand, always receiving, going here, going there, going to see this Christian speaker, listening to the Bible on the iPod, but never lifting a finger when somebody's in need, completely um, misinterprets the message of what the scriptures say. We certainly don't want to get the reputation, of, as some have, of always quoting scripture, but when we're needed, we're nowhere to be found. Right? That's not a reputation that we want. So you see the, the two of these women, as the more you read the scripture, how we should embody both of those qualities. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So this is Mary's worship. Matthew's gospel tells us it was an alabaster flask. If you've ever seen alabaster, it's very pretty. Probably hard to mine and, and, and fashion into a flask. Uh, she also anointed his head and his body as well. The other gospels tell us. So what do we look at? Let's look at the significance. Because there's a reason, everything in the scripture has a reason. Right? The Holy Spirit's inspiration guided these men and women to speak about the Lord. Okay? So we look at the head. Well, if you look back into the Old Testament, that they would take oil and anoint the head of the king for his office of, of being king. Now, we, we kind of have an inauguration here in the United States, so some of these practices are foreign to us, literally. Uh, in King David's instance, he was anointed several times with oil to signify that he was going to be the king of Israel. So Jesus is the king. Question is, is he the king and ruler over our lives? He was over Mary's life. Do we give him authority and sovereignty to speak into our lives? Now, the feet. Now, in our culture, it's different. <laughs> we take care of our feet. Sometimes some get pedicures, some paint their toenails, some get foot massages. As a matter of fact, right now I'm wearing orthotics because when I stand too long, my feet start to bother me. I don't think they had orthotics back then. Okay, But in that culture, your feet just served a purpose. They were there to get you from point A to point B. And in that culture, it was hot, it was dusty, your feet sweat, there was oils from your feet. And most of the shoes were open-toed, so you had this kind of mucky mess of your feet. So this is what's going on. This is the most uncomely part of the human body. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, the Apostle Paul, that in those days and in that culture, a woman's long hair, her tresses, it was the glory of the woman. So here she's taking her long, beautiful hair, letting it down, and anointing his feet with her hair. So I submit to you, it wasn't just the expensive oil that was a sacrifice for her, but she also did an act of humility. So it was not only the oil, but it was the hair too, when you understand the culture back then. At times, we need to sit at his feet. And sometimes, maybe we read the scripture and go, I would never do that. Then there might be a pride issue. You know, We have to look at that, that issue there. And three, the body. 
This was an act of respect for his burial. And his death was coming within a matter of a few days. And this oil would have been on him and probably would have still smelled by the time uh, he was being crucified and buried. But that was prophetic significance. That was the way they prepared the bodies back then for burial, with these ointments, with these oils. So she's doing that ahead of time. Warren Wiersbe says that Martha is a picture of works, Mary is a picture of worship, and Lazarus is a picture of witness. And we have all three. We can, wit- we can see, and if we've been a Christian long enough, we can say, look what the Lord has done in my life. Lazarus was a, he didn't even have to open his mouth. Hey, there's Lazarus. He was dead for four days. So he was a living witness, whether he opened his mouth or not. So you have works, worship, and witness. And we should embody all three. Verse 4. Then one of his disciples, disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box And he used to take what was put in it. So as we bring the different Gospels together, we learn more about the disciples. We learn more about Judas. Now, I'm going to go from the critique, his critique, and then to the correction, the Lord's correction, and then to the the conclusion, the three C's. Critique, correction, and conclusion. So in Matthew's Gospel, it says that Judas got the other disciples riled up as well. You've got to read all the scriptures, and boy, it really paints this awesome picture in your mind of what was going on. In Mark's gospel, it says that she was criticized sharply. So there's a little tension here in, in the Lord's ranks, and let's, let's, let's explore that. Well, Mark's gospel tells us that this was spike nard. This was oil of pure nard. It was worth about 300 denarii, which would have been close to a year's wages of your average laborer. You're probably really not much of a middle class as we have. You had your wealthy and you had the common person. So this is, this is about a year's wage. Now, why was it so expensive? Because at the time, it was, had to be processed. Processing now is a lot easier. To get the oil out of any type of vegetation took some work back then. And in addition to that, the spike nard came all the way from India. So it didn't pass that way that often. Right, so this stuff is pretty expensive. Now, we can speculate, we can say, was this an inheritance? Did Mary's parents leave it to her? We can ask, was this her retirement? Or we can say, maybe she was wealthy, maybe she was well off. Regardless of which one it is, this was no cheap devotion. And then I have to ask the question, what do we give to God? Do we give him cheap devotion? Or do we give him our all? If we look at the story of David, which we're getting in and on Wednesday nights, David went to buy a, a threshing floor and wanted to make it an altar out of it so he could worship God. And he went to Ornan as the king and said, I'd like to buy your threshing floor. And Ornan said, you're the king, you can have it for free. And David said, no, I want to pay full price. How can I give to the Lord something that costs me nothing? Now, in the Old Testament, you had your lambs and you would bring your lambs to the temple and, and they would take your lambs and... Uh, There would be sacrifices that would go on. And some of the people brought the worst of their flock, the lamb with a missing leg or the lamb with some type of defect or a very sickly lamb. And God was upset because what some of the people were doing was taking the best for themselves and giving God what they didn't want, what they would throw out. 
So the question is, what do we give God as Christians? Well, I don't, I, I don't have a threshing floor in my house, and um, I don't have any lambs. But let's, let's bring this all the way up to the, to the year 2012. Now, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm also speaking about time. As a matter of fact, for some of us, it's a lot easier to write a check than to give God our time. Is God in our time? Is God in our decisions? Is God in our relationships? Or do we have God in a closet somewhere and say, I'll open the door and let you know what part of my life you can come into? So Mary gave the Lord her best. Do we give him our best? Now, as a new believer, or as a non-believer sitting in those pews and hearing this type of sermon, I would say, I don't give God anything. <laughs> I would look at my life and say, I really don't give him anything. But see, that's the beauty of a relationship with the Lord. As we learn to grow, it's a relationship. And in any relationship, you give. It's a give and take. And we learn to give to God. So, And there's always room for improvement as well. I want to take a few moments to criticize Judas, which is easy to do. So this is pretty easy. Uh, and I also want to make some parallels. Because, you know, Judas walked with the Lord. Judas saw the miracles. It's quite possible that Judas partook in some of those miracles. Maybe he carried the baskets of the fragments when the 5,000 were fed. But he also let temptation get the hold of him, and he turned on the Lord. So let's look at Judas. Number one, Judas sounded so spiritual, didn't he? We need to help the poor. World leaders have been saying that since the beginning of time, and I don't know any country... That's eradicated poverty. Now, I think that's a worthy goal, but I'm just saying that, you know, Jesus says the poor you'll have with you always, and, and we'll look at that. Um, there shouldn't be an issue there, but unfortunately in a sinful world, there is still that issue. Even a lot of the aid that we send overseas in some of these countries, we find that the governments hoard it. They keep it for themselves. They don't give it to the... It's, it's pretty sad. That's what we're dealing with. Politicians invoke the poor for extra votes. And unfortunately, sometimes it turns out, after they look at their charitable giving, that they give maybe 1%. Oh, the poor, the poor, the poor. But when it comes to their own personal life, they don't really practice what they preach. Uh, it's a great tactic if you want to stifle criticism. And this is what Judas did. If we could put truth serum in that situation, you can say, well, don't question me about what I'm doing. I'm going to use the poor as a covering for my nefarious motives. And that's what he did. But far worse, far, far worse is when it's done under the guise of spirituality. I mean, it wouldn't take long if you were not a believer to learn the Christian lingo, to learn Christianese, so to speak, to put on a good show. It happens, pretentiousness, and use the poor to our advantage. A good manipulator will use this as a craft. I say, don't just listen to the words, but look at the fruit in a person's life. Judas was also divisive. He was spouting off instead of talking to the Lord privately. What was the benefit of making a public uh, affair out of what was going on? Again, it probably caused some tension. Now, I'll just say this, that Judas had bad motives, but he got the disciples riled up. That's an interesting part to this. The disciples, they're walking with Jesus. It's a few days out from the crucifixion. You know, they see Jesus raise the dead. I mean, this was like the crescendo of what he was doing in his ministry with Lazarus. Four days in the tomb, the guy comes out of the tomb. Part of them is thinking, yes, this guy can do anything. 
He's going to, and the Jews were waiting for a political Messiah. Overturn the Roman government. Let us rule again. Let us have our land back. But then Jesus kept talking about crucifixion. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to sacrifice. So it was probably a very tense situation with the disciples. And you know as well as I do, when there's something on your mind and you're frustrated, all it takes is one person to set off a spark, and all of a sudden you're in an argument. You wonder, what am I arguing about? So, um, you know, they got carried away with this, and they shouldn't have. But even today, some are purposely divisive, and others are unwittingly divisive. There's actually a book that I read, and I, I gobbled up in one evening, It was called Well-Intentioned Dragons. (laughs) And I think the title says it all about people who are divisive, like Judas, whether they mean to be or they don't mean to be. And there can be a person in church who's always spouting off and questioning everything, and they don't realize that they're being divisive. Sometimes they do. A critical spirit will always hide the inadequacies in their own lives and try to make a big show and a diversion. Right? The biggest loudmouths, the biggest jealous people, they're hiding inadequacies in their own lives. So the focus isn't on them, and they want to put that focus on somebody else. And it's sad because I know some of you have come from churches where these type of things have happened, and it's divided a church. So let me make a joke out of it now. Let me lower the mood a little bit. There's a guy who's on a desert island, and he, he's on this desert island for 20 years. So a helicopter flies over, and they're like, wow, there's like three huts down there, and there's this guy in shambles. So they get a a rescue crew together, and they they go to the island, and they go to rescue him, and they're having conversations with him. And they see he's only one guy, and there's nobody else on the island, but there's three huts. So they ask the guy, I don't understand this whole thing with the three huts. So he goes, well, the one hut is my home. And he goes, the other hut, I'm a a God-fearing man. It's my church. It's where I worship. And they say, well, what about the third hut? He turns to them and he goes, well, there was a church split. (laughs) If you've been in (laughs) long enough, you would understand that. The other issue, third, is for the disciples to throw their lot in with Judas, they lacked discernment. I like to picture what might have been going on at the time. Now there's this big ruckus. And they should have said to themselves, well, Jesus isn't stopping her, so maybe we should be quiet and ask him for direction or watch what he does. However, they got ahead of the Lord. They spoke presumptuously. They chimed in, and it wasn't their their lot to chime in. They misrepresented him. And I'll tell you the truth, we do that as times too. You know, we can look at these situations and go, well, I would never do that. Do we ever get ahead of the Lord? Ever? Christians? (laughs) No, I do. (laughs) Do we ever speak for him, maybe without praying about it? Do we ever spout something off without giving it some thought and some prayer or really maybe researching it? We get ahead of the Lord. And and it sounds like a good cause, the poor. And I'm going to explain what this all means here. But we find ourselves sometimes looking back and go, oh, the Lord never moves. When we're in a distance, it's because we move. In mathematics, a constant is always the same. It never moves. The Lord is that constant. We're the variables in that algebraic equation. I I love algebra. I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, Four, Judas was a thief, and the Lord knew it, but he was in his ranks. 
You say, well, why didn't he do anything right away? Why didn't he stop it? The Lord is long-suffering, even with us. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves and see the deficit before he has to deal with us. He gave Judas plenty of time to repent, to do the right thing, because he loved Judas as well. Now, don't, don't mistake God's lack of swift punishment for his approval. Don't mistake God's lack of swift punishment for his impotence, because he is all-powerful. Right? He's just a long-suffering, loving God. He gives us a lot of lead. If we're Christians, if we're non-Christians, he gives us so many chances. Seven. Then Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have, but me you do not always have. The Lord's correction. I could just picture the Lord silent, you know, listening to them. Mary's like, she doesn't know what's going on, waiting for it to die down. And then saying, are you guys finished? <laughs> you know, the proverb says that a soft answer turns away wrath. I don't think that Jesus was a yeller. I think he just waited, and they were looking at him, and he just spoke. He said, the poor you will always have. Mark's gospel tells us, it adds more. It says that anytime you wish, you may do the poor good. Right? In other words, you don't need my permission to go out and help the poor. Why are you guys making hay of this? They're making a big deal out of something that wasn't a big deal. You don't need a trumpet. You don't need a war chest. Go out anytime you want to help the poor. You don't need my permission. And the same is true today. If we really want to help people, there are many opportunities. Even in this church, the homeless ministry is going to go out again, Trent Homeless, on October 21st. We just had the backpack ministry that helped a lot of needy people in this area. We're going to have the Thanksgiving outreach. And some of you do ministries Outside of the church, you do it on your own. You don't need the church's permission. You know, we should be helping the poor. So don't misinterpret what Jesus is saying. And he's not giving an excuse for stinginess or laziness when it comes to generosity or helping others. This is a priority issue. What has to happen first is the foundational issue must be the relationship with the Lord, which obviously Judas didn't have. In our situations, devotion to God it has to be the impetus the drive, the motive, and the power behind serving the poor or helping others. We've spoken about political activism without the Lord. It can be fruitless. We spoke about even government agencies. Man, you take a few guys and gals, congressmen, whatever, put them in a room with like tens of millions of dollars and say, hey, you're in charge of this. You know, deliver that to the poor. It's like a dog salivating over a steak. And then the general accountability or the government accountability office gets involved and says, hey, you're supposed to distribute this much, there's money missing. Or the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says, hey, wait a minute, these numbers don't add up. The Lord has to be that impetus to make sure things go well. And even, there's a really good website, it's called Charity Navigator, I believe it's .org, might be .com, Charity Navigator. Whenever you go to give to a charity, they, they tell you, they do the pie charts, they break down how much money actually goes to the poor, and some are operational costs. I'll tell you, as these, these uh, companies grow bigger and bigger, some of these charities, operational costs get higher and higher. Right? 60%, 70%, the poor are getting hardly anything. They're, not, they're getting 25 cents on the dollar. Remember, unless the Lord is in it, and he's the foundation, 
there's going to be problems with it. It's going to happen every time. Now, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it said that it, this incident prompted Judas to go out to find the religious leaders and to fix a price of how he was going to sell out his Lord. Wow. Why? Well, because he didn't get his way. See, he could have taken that spike nard and given a lot of it to the poor and said, you know, I'll just take 40%. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the, the footwork here. Could have done a lot with that spike nard. And today, there are those that maybe don't get their way with God. They're not patient enough with him. They don't get their way with the church. And they, they can leave and become as equally destructive to the Lord's ministry because they didn't get what they wanted, even while touting altruistic motives. It's hard to say in the one hand, I love the Lord, but in the other hand, my actions don't support that and sustain that. So the question is, when we serve, do we serve for the right reasons? Is it something we're looking to get out of it? Or is the design to serve the Lord the way he wants it to happen? Is there something we're looking for out of the way we serve? Or is it, is it completely designed to do it according to what God says in his word? In Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus said that she has anointed my body for burial, of course, beforehand. And we looked at that burial process. Did you, when you look through the scripture, you'll find that this Mary that we're speaking of, there was a lot of Marys. It was a popular name. Uh, because the Hebrew name Miriam was, was very popular because it was Moses' sister. So Mary is just the way we translate Miriam in the Hebrew. So a lot of young girls, a lot of ladies were named Mary. Now, this particular Mary was not there at the crucifixion. She was not there at the empty tomb. Why? Because she gave, her, she gave him her best now in the present. Understand? She knew what was happening, and she had this moment with the Lord, and she, she moved according to her heart in the present. Now, a lot of times we are presented with the gospel, and we think about the future. Well, you know, I'm going for a, a promotion right now, and I'm studying. I'm very busy. Or I'm in college right now. Or it's sports season right now. Or I'm going on a cruise right now. I mean, you name it. I got to do this, I got to do that. And they put off the decision for the Lord. But Mary gave him, gave him her best now in the present. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If the Lord is working on you, what is there to wait for? Give, give him your best now. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm not trying to beat, any, beat up on anybody because I was that person. I waited till after college. I waited till I got the job that I wanted. I waited till this and I waited till that. And finally, I made that uh, decision for the Lord. I'm thankful that he was patient with me, but he didn't have to be. And I'll, I'll tell you this as well, that if I would have made that decision a lot sooner in, in life, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache and pain. And I've shared this with you before. So this is encouraging. It's not condemning. Okay? Verse 9. Last few verses. And we'll finish the next chapter in the following Sundays. Then a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So here's the conclusion from best to worst. Number one is, 
a lot of the Jews believed. Now, when we look at the face of the church today, we see mostly non-Jewish people. But Christianity was understood as a Jewish sect. He came for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles. He was the fulfilled Messiah that was supposed to come. We all, who are me included, who don't have any Jewish lineage or heritage, are blessed by that Jewish Messiah who came, by the Son of God, who took the form of a man. So many of the Jews, the, the disciples were Jewish, the early church was Jewish, and even today there's a, a large contingent of Jewish believers in Israel. I know people who go and, uh, over there and they, they look at the Holy Land and they see these groups, pockets, big pockets of Jewish believers, but they're persecuted because there's a, there's a stigma attached to that, but they're still there. The second point that we see here is probably some viewed Lazarus as maybe a circus sideshow. Hey, let's go see the guy who was dead for four days. His skin looks pretty good. Boy, that collagen really repaired in that. I mean, they're looking at him. Maybe they didn't go with the right reasons. Right? The third thing we can look at is the worst yet, is that the leaders, the religious leaders, wanted to kill. They already decided they were going to kill Jesus. Now they want to kill Lazarus too because of the evidence. And I will tell you that religious murder is the most offensive type of murder. In the name of God, whether it's the church of the Middle Ages or whether it's terrorists today, to kill other people in the name of your God. How sick. You know, be fruitful and multiply the earth. Now I want you to just kill people who don't believe? No. We're supposed to win them over with love. That's the whole focus. Right? That's, that's a problem. But I'm going to, I believe that whether it was back then or today, Jesus is still a polarizing figure. And when you, the individual here this morning, is presented with the gospel, you have two choices. Number one, you could bend at the knee, you could humble yourself, you could let down your hair, and you could sit at the Lord's feet, and you could worship him, like many have done before you. Or you can say, I don't have time for that right now. Justify the reasons why you can't do it right now, and some will even become persecutors like we see here. These guys had a position. They had high government positions. They were being paid well. They were doing well. And they did not want to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And that's what happens. But as we conclude, as we close, and I'm going to save the last few verses for last. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, 12 and 13, Another parallel gospel. Jesus said this about Mary. He said, For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Wow. You think she had any idea of the implications of what she was doing? Now, some may say, well, she did it in front of everybody else. Maybe it was a show. No, it wasn't. Because for her to do that and for her to carry that out, she was lowering herself. When we go into chapter 13 and we speak about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I'm going to talk to you more about that culture. And Jesus set that example to the disciples. And you see why the disciples are so uncomfortable with Jesus washing their feet. But he was setting an example to them. He said he came to serve. He came to give himself as a ransom for many, and he wanted that, that example to permeate through his followers and to start the church that way. That's pure Christianity. 
So this was a, a pure devotion that this woman had. And even though she took abuse from those from within side, well, the Lord was pleased with her humility, her homage, and her honesty. So how does this apply 2,000 years later, this morning, Sunday morning, before we go out and start our week? There are going to be times when you do the right thing. And I don't necessarily mean the emotional thing, the right thing, the biblical thing. The part of the Bible that maybe a lot of Christians don't want to follow because it's too difficult. And you may get grief for it. Maybe not from the outside, but from within the faith. That's what's going on here. But all that matters is that the Lord is pleased with your actions and your heart position. In the age of social media, there's a whole genre of herd mentality. We follow what everybody does on, the, on you know, Facebook or this or that, and everybody jumps in and likes your post and, and has something to say about it. But there may be times that you have the courage to say, no, I'm not going to talk about that person. No, I'm not going to gossip about that person. Or, I can't do it all, I'm only one person and the pastor's here. And you hear something that's wrong in the church and say, you know what, that's not how we, we roll here in this church. That's unacceptable. Be quiet. How, how could you do that openly in a church? You know, there's times that we're going to say, I'm not going to play that game. And again, from within the faith, from your friends, you may get a hard time for it. Maybe, um, and I've been there, I've been in, in groups of friends and it, it's been more cultural. It's been more surface. It's been more cliquish. We go through those stages. And there's a lot of head shaking. And they say, hey, whatever happens here stays here, like that commercial. Whatever we do stays here. And you realize at one point that's wrong. I'm going to go against the grain. And you might be ostracized for that. However, I think Mary just did the right thing. I don't think she weighed what was going to happen, what the consequences were going to be. Now, will we always have the Lord to, to just appear and say, hey, leave that person alone. You know, leave Harold alone. He's a good guy. Knock it off. Maybe not. But we need to know in our hearts that we're doing the right thing. And I personally, similar to Mary, I would rather go against the herd and do things that please the Lord. Let's, play. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's play worship too while we're at it. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. This woman in that society... You know, maybe in, in that type of society, and that culture, maybe she couldn't break through those barriers. Maybe society would, would hold her down. And she did this act in front of all those people just because her heart was in it.